Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's an exciting time for Lakers fans. I'm so proud to have young Luke coaching the team, reunited with LeBron James, a a man who's forgotten more about basketball than I ever knew, the wonderful Jeannie Buss, Rob Palenka, Magic Johnson, and back in the shitty where I played college basketball under the greatest coach in the history of sports, John, John Wooden, a man who figured out that success is based on enthusiasm, industriousness, cooperation, making your bed, tying your shoes. Who would have thought? I, I haven't been this excited since Jerry Garcia's last tour. Thinking Basketball Podcast, my name is Ben, and I have been wanting to get this episode out for a while it's taken some time but I, I i can't hold it in anymore every year there's a team in the off season they configure the parts they shuffle the deck and i just get really excited about trying to understand how they're gonna play together last year it was the rockets with chris paul coming in how are they gonna stagger the lineups how are two on-ball players gonna fit etc cetera, etc cetera. sort of had my eye on them this year That team for me is the Lakers, not just because LeBron James is in town and he's been added to the deck, but all of the other pieces they've brought in, specifically Rajon Rondo, uh, then guys like JaVale McGee, Lance Stevenson, that in conjunction with all their young players. So the, the developing or budding stars that are guys like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and even players like Kyle Kuzma, who look like they're going to have uh, solid NBA careers. It's just a really interesting situation. Luke Walton, with his coaching pedigree coming from Golden State, I- I'm I'm fascinated by the team. Completely fascinated by them. And I, I want to unpack them and-, and look at how the players fit together, where the strengths and weaknesses are. And with L.A., that's the, that's the purpose of the show today. With L.A., it's really all about this on-ball problem. These guys have, uh, I I mean, you started with LeBron James, who is a ball-dominant player. He has the ball in his hands a lot. He creates offense by holding the ball. His time of possession is high. That's just his style. And so it was going to be interesting to see how he fit next to Lonzo Ball, along with Ingram, and that was before... Magic Johnson started playing like NBA Plinko in the offseason. I, I think he had a, uh, you know, the Price is Right game. The, the, he had all the prizes at the bottom were like players who had won a championship ring, and he was just dropping the chips down and seeing where they, they ratcheted over to. Uh, and then, of course, started picking up guys like JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo, just things that were uh, making the NBA blogosphere's hair come out um but after yeah at first blush there's certainly this question and and that's the thrust of the analysis i'm going to get into in a second but there's something more going on here uh, than just surrounding lebron in a different way it's gonna it's gonna be a different look 
you know, we're used to seeing LeBron ball and he's surrounded by shooters and stretching the floor. And, and this is something we've seen throughout his career where everything, you know, he's the center of the galaxy and all of the stars orbit around him. Maybe the planets, I should say. It doesn't matter if they're a star or not. But it's going to be a different look in the way they've constructed this roster. So let's start with this idea of the on-ball math. The on-ball math needs to add up. There's only so many possessions and, and, and so much one player can hold the ball or initiate the possessions. And when you look at the key on-ball guys and what they've done, not just historically, but even just in 2018, last year, that is to say LeBron, Rondo, Lonzo Ball to a degree, uh, even Lance Stevenson, Brandon Ingram, when you look at all these guys, mathematically, there's got to be, by my calculations, they're going to need at least a 15% reduction in on-ball possessions from that group. Now, that, that may not sound like a huge deal, but if it's 100 possessions a game amongst the group of them, three or four or five guys, then you got to share or shave 15 possessions off of that. In practice, it may be more like 10 on-ball scoring possessions and a handful of on-ball playmaking possessions or seven on-ball scoring possessions and a handful of on-ball playing possessions. So it's not like those guys are really going from 100 down to 85. It's more like some of them have to get from 10 to 4. Some of them, you know, if it's not evenly distributed and LeBron maintains his, maintains his rate, some of them have to go from six to one or something like that. So it might sound like a small amount, but it's actually the largest reduction that will ever be required in my database, which goes back almost two decades. So for some of the stats I'm about to reference, I have a, a database based on play-by-play which uses some estimates which are similar to things like Synergy or Second Spectrum. They're not exactly the same. You can look up the exact numbers from Second Spectrum last year, but just just to be fair uh, and not necessarily reproduce things that are behind a paywall, um, I'll cite the estimates, which are generally pretty accurate. But just, just to create the shape and understand the idea of, okay, this guy's primarily on-ball, this guy's primarily off-ball, he generally has this many possessions, et cetera, et cetera. Based on that, LA needs a good 15% reduction in the possessions from those guys. That that would just put them at the ceiling. That would just put them at, like, the all-time ceiling in my database of basically playing offensive possessions initiated through one guy. Now, what's interesting after the first two preseason games is it doesn't look like they're going to move in that direction. They're not just going to have LeBron run a bunch of stuff and then swap him out for another guy and have Ingram ISO or something like that. There's a lot of movement and a lot of principles in terms of cutting, slashing, rim diving that are going to be folded into this equation. So the 15% reduction thing, that's the ceiling. That's, That's the minimum. And by ceiling here, I mean the most number or the most realistic number of on-ball possessions you could possibly have as a team. It'll probably go down even more in terms of these possessions that are traditionally initiated by one guy 
or run through one guy. In other words, time of possession is going to go down for all these players. So if we look at LeBron, Rondo, and Lonzo Ball, those guys were all in the top 40 last year in time of possession. That is to say, the amount of actual court time that they had the ball according to second spectrum. So that's got to get cut. And it looks like what's so interesting about them is it looks like it's going to be cut severely for a lot of these players. They're not going to pound the ball into the floor constantly or hold and isolate and wait for a pick and roll. Instead, they're going to get it and get out and run. To put numbers on it, LeBron James was at the top of the league last year in terms of generating his own offense on the ball. That's pick and roll, isolation, whatever. Brandon Ingram, top 10%. Rajon Rondo, top quartile. Even the bench guys, Lance and Michael Beasley. These guys were top 10, top 20%. So there's a lot of time of possession, on ball. You know, I want to pound the rock. I want to have it. I want to create. There's a lot of that coming together. And mathematically, something has to give. And just to be clear, that's volume, not efficiency. All of those guys were near the top of the league in volume. And and this is also where portability becomes such a relevant thing. I, I've talked about it before. I talk about it in Thinking Basketball. These guys, if you, if you play a heavy on-ball role, that means you're providing value with the ball in your hands. Holding the ball, dribbling, passing, initiating the pick and roll, all of this stuff. That's where your value is coming from. So... It may sound like a small thing, but it's a big deal to strip someone of a bunch of core scoring possessions or a bunch of score creating possessions and then ask them to provide value in other ways. And that's what is going on here with these guys. It's possible LeBron maintains his exact volume that he's had in the past couple years in Cleveland. And if that happens, then Ingram... Lonzo, Rondo have to scale way down. Or it's possible that there's some other combination of a reduction. Uh, Maybe at the end of the episode, I'll, I'll try to map that out. But the point is, there are serious diminishing returns when you bring on ball players together. What's so fascinating about this team is they may not follow the traditional script. We're we're thinking at at a surface glance, wow, surrounding LeBron with these players something's got to give and then it's compounded by the fact that they don't have shooters typically the formula around James is you just surround him with shooters very similar to what Houston has done with James Harden because he's very difficult to stop in isolation or pick and roll action a two-man game and any response by the defense hedging cheating stunting etc both Harden and LeBron are masters at punishing it. LeBron, probably the greatest skip passer in NBA history. So if you move two passes away, he just darts one right into the corner to a shooter. But that's not what LA's roster is built on. So what's what's going to happen? To dive into some approximations of what I'm talking about here, last season, just in percentiles in my database... You've got Kyle Kuzma, who's off-ball perimeter shooting. That is a uh, a crude combination of 
volume and efficiency, just a simple combination of volume and efficiency. He was in the top half of the league. Brandon Ingram was in the top half of the league. KCP is in the 70th percentile range. Uh, Josh Hart actually performed very well in this area. He was in the 80th percentile range in, in much smaller volume. And the other guys, not really effective outside shooters. Lonzo Ball, we know the story. Uh, Rondo has improved his three a lot, but still not a, a great outside threat. And neither Lance Stevenson or Michael Beasley have a history of lighting it up in those areas. I, I think before we get into how I think this is going to work, it's time for a sponsor. Have you been looking for home-delivered sushi that also meets all of your unique dietary needs? Well, look no more with Gloofy. Get the best-tasting, gluten-free, vegan, paleo sushi at affordable cost delivered right to your door with the click of a button. My personal favorite is the wasabi-wrapped radish sashimi. I had it last week. It was wonderful. And you can also enjoy classics like their seaweed scallion plate or the award-winning lettuce avocado roll. Enter promo code THINK and get 15% off your first five orders. Download Gloofy today at participating app stores. Okay, so on one hand, LA has way too much off-ball talent. The, the math doesn't add up. And some of these players are going to have to find a different way to contribute. But on the other hand, and this is what I think is so fascinating about this team and their coach, they have three of the top 15 passers in the NBA. We can break it down by my passer rating metric, uh, which is, uh, if, if you're interested in that, you're not familiar with it, it's available on my website, backpicks.com, under metrics. But it's basically a 1 to 10 scale idea. And these guys, specifically LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, and Lonzo Ball. I mean, these are three of the top 15 passers in the league. Right now, someone like Lonzo Ball is a passing savant. Uh, he had one of the highest rookie passer ratings of all time last year he's just one of the best rookie passers I've ever seen and the types of passes he makes are a little different a lot of touch passes quick hits outlets really subtle angles that he just has built into his wiring and I think what LA is losing in having to give up some of this on-ball stuff, I think what they're losing in not having good outside shooting, they are getting back to a large degree with passing. Because passing goes together with finishing. And if if you're familiar with my all-time player series, I led with this offensive graphic as a concept. And the offensive graphic started with uh, basically started with creating, the ability to create a shot. And it ended with finishing. And I'm particular about that language because I think finishing or off-ball offense is when you catch and score essentially instantaneously. That, that That's your action. Your action is catching and scoring. I think it's when you catch and score from anywhere on the court. 
the idea that finishing is only reserved for the rim or catching it, it's both it's catch and shoot and the rim and so what that means is JaVale McGee has rim gravity that gets unlocked by passing it means that LeBron James his cuts get unlocked there's a synergy with passing Josh Hart and his little back doors because he's such a high IQ player and the defender turns his head and he cuts that's unlocked by passing I'm going to sound like a broken record here the idea that the Lakers want to play with pace and the angles and opportunities you can get as the defense is backpedaling odd man situation aside it could be four on three three on two but sometimes you'll just see it four on four five on five they're coming down the court really quickly and you've got cross matches and the defenders, uh, you, you know, moving laterally or something, and you just get a little angle. That's unlocked with passing. And just in LA's first few preseason games here, you're starting to see how these things can fit together in a way that can be devastating, might not be the word, but but very dangerous. Historically, really good passing teams have really good offenses. And it doesn't, it doesn't hold true across the board. It's not like every really solid passing team or every team that has a number of good passers is great. For instance, the 2018 Nets last year in Brooklyn. They have a number of really nice, solid, underrated passers on that team, including Spencer Din- Dinwiddie, sort of one of the most unheralded high-level passers in the whole league. And they didn't put forth a great offense. They're slightly below average in offensive efficiency last year. But as an aside, I also think that that gives the Nets some promise to continue to have a sustainable offense and maybe overachieve in the East because of that. And with LA, it's the same thing, but to a degree on steroids, because instead of talking about one or two guys like Dinwiddie working with, uh, you know, Jared Allen or uh, Levert or somebody like that, Instead, in L.A., we're talking about these these phenomenal passers in Rondo and Ball and LeBron. So just look, LeBron himself is an elite finisher at the rim. He's He grades out in my database as being phenomenal at off-ball cuts. JaVale McGee has rim gravity. You can see L.A. trying to exploit this in the first few preseason games. The other guys on the roster, not so much, but Kuzma is at least serviceable. Ingram is the guy. Ingram Ingram and Ball, to me, are the question marks in the main rotation because Ingram doesn't, you know, he's very slender, but he's also athletic and he's crafty. And Ball, man, last year, just the, the well-documented story about avoiding free throws. Maybe if his free throws go up, he, he does have size and could potentially finish better at the rim. But I, I think all of them, including Rajon Rondo, who himself is only a mediocre rim finisher, he kind of overpasses or hides from size sometimes. All of these guys move well without the ball. All of these guys have the ability, along with Josh Hart, to make back cuts or make cuts or dives that is going to constantly open up passing lanes or stress the defense. And that's just in the half court. 
in transition, LeBron James is probably the greatest transition scorer ever. That, that we can table that for another conversation, but uh, his transition scoring, he's like a one-man fast break. Now, he's getting a little older. There's definitely some tread on those tires. I, I'm not sure the Lakers want to play him 36 or 38 minutes a night at pace. I, I wouldn't put anything past LeBron. He's in incredible shape. But if they're going to unlock the other... The other benefit of what I'm talking about here with this passing, finishing synergy, you would think that to play at pace, LeBron's minutes go down a little bit. The number I keep having in my head is like 33 minutes a game. That allows him to push, get out, run, pass. And then if Lonzo Ball or Rajon Rondo are on the court with him at the same time, you always have two elite passers. And more importantly, because we, we just touched on half court, in the transition between offense and defense, that pace, that fast break game, you always have guys who are looking to advance the ball with the pass. And I don't know if that's something that they're drilling conceptually or it's just instinct, but both Rondo and LeBron playing together on the court in the preseason so far have looked to advance with the pass, move, and get it back. And what that does is it accelerates the fast break, but still keeps the ball in a dangerous position. It's like when Magic Johnson used to come down on the fast break, he, he was the best ever at passing on the break because wherever he was was dangerous. Like if he had the ball at half court and you completely neglected a wing on the backside, layup. If you stopped the ball at the wrong time and left uh, one of the flankers, layup. If it's three on three and you forget about the trailer and Magic goes slightly off center, no look, drop pass, layup. It's not going to be that same showtime through one player, but I think what's happening here is they keep moving the ball up the court with a passer and everyone else is running. That is to say Ingram or Kuzma, who's been playing some small ball five, uh, when KCP's on the court, certainly Josh Hart. They're going to play with this pace, and good things are going to happen because it's going to stress the defense. The last point I want to make on that, which as of recording this, we haven't yet seen in the preseason, is Lonzo Ball. Some of Lonzo Ball's most savant-like passes, these incredible touchdowns and outlets, are fast-break driven they they are fast break promoting that's the word I was looking for so Lonzo gets the ball he's a he's a good defensive rebounder uses his size and he cleans the glass and before his feet hit the ground he already has an idea of where the outlet's going all of this is just going to support LA's ability to generate easier shots or stress the defense in transition okay so the final piece of the puzzle for the Lakers really comes down to what the lineup combinations are going to be like. What what player pairings will Luke Walton end up going with? And there's a guy I've mentioned a few times, but 
I think he's a candidate to have a really good breakout year. In fact, the most recent Dunked On podcast with Nate Duncan and, and Danny LaRue, they actually pegged him as well. And I completely agree. And that's Josh Hart. Josh Hart, and here's why. Because he's a better outside shooter or spot-up shooter than people realize. So he's going to get a lot of open looks on the perimeter. He, sh- he should have very comfortable shooting numbers. And he can finish going to the rim. He's got great instincts for cutting. He's got, he's got great instincts for this whole high-movement, high-passing, not-stalling-the-ball system they're trying to put in. And, of course, he's a solid defender, which means he's going to get minutes, and it means he fits next to the passers. But he's not that bad of a passer himself, by the way. That's the interesting thing that I've kind of glossed over here, the supplement passers. Brandon Ingram, a guy who is developing into a really good basketball player, he might have to sacrifice some of his ISO possessions, and therefore his sort of traditional stats might go down. But he's able to finish on the perimeter if you kick it to him and he's open. He's able to initiate the offense as as another sort of guy to have the ball in his hands and make good decisions. And he's already shown the ability to make solid passes on the move. So there's all this movement. The ball's moving quickly. And when you hit Ingram in a in a fortuitous position, it's one dribble into his move or half a dribble or whatever, and he moves the ball along into a softer spot on the defense. And this is what I expect to see out of the L.A. offense this year. JaVale McGee's got roll gravity. Brandon Ingram's sort of like a like a Swiss army knife. That's that's what I'm getting at. He can initiate at times. He can pass on the move. He can slash and finish. He can hit spot-up shots. Every once in a while, he'll have some isolation possession. I, I, I suppose that depends on how Luke Walton staggers the second unit or how he, how he orchestrates the second unit. But I expect the core lineups to revolve around the key, obviously LeBron, the players I've been talking about, and I think Josh Hart fits really well in there. I think not only does he have an opportunity to have a breakout year in terms of his numbers, but I, I think the the situation is ripe for him to provide value. I, I think he's a guy who can really help what they're trying to put together in L.A. this year. So, okay, to recap, to, to wrap this whole thing up, because I'm getting tired of listening to myself speak today, we know L.A.'s weakness is its outside shooting. And frankly, it's its outside, outside shooting and defense, which in today's NBA is, is not a great weakness to have. Uh, I've, uh, if you're not familiar with the roster, they don't have a lot of size. They don't really have uh, interior defense beyond McGee. McGee, we all know JaVale McGee, Shaq in a fool. He is long. He's athletic. He'll block a lot of shots. He provides some rim protection, but he's not a great high instinct defender. He's not a great lateral defender, things like that. So those are the glaring weaknesses. Those are the things that are going to prevent the Lakers from competing with the big boys. I think that's fairly safe to say. Even if this experiment works, even if the synergy that I've been getting at in this podcast is remarkable and and, and innovative, I'm feeling like something 
something wild may happen in this NBA season. We we keep pushing the boundaries of innovation, and this team could be one of those areas to really tap into the harmony and synergy between passing, speed, cutting, pace, and high IQ instinct. And I'm not saying they're going to come out and set the offensive rating record, but I think the possibility is there. The opportunity is there for them to be good to really good on offense in a way that's a little untraditional. Of course, it's built around the backbone of LeBron James, who has a history of making sure your offense is competitive and good. But the other part of this math equation for the Lakers is how far can you go with twos? The, the league has uh, become so efficient around three-point shots and Maury Ball, and it just seems incredibly unlikely that they're going to be a high-volume or moderate-volume, high-efficiency three-point shooting team. And so all of the dynamics that I've talked about today, the whole point of putting this team under the microscope and giving them attention in the preseason, the whole point of this experiment, can the math work well enough between transition, back cuts, LeBron, just all of it, can it work well enough to get you a great offense? I don't, my hunch is that it can't quite get there, but here's a takeaway or, or sort of the prognostication from a wins point of view. If your offense is, say, three or four points better than league average, so let's say league average is around 108 offensive rating last year, if you drop a 112 offensive rating and your defense is right around average, maybe a little below average, you'll be pushing that 50-win barrier. And I think that would be a, quite an achievement and put L.A. in contention probably, I guess, for for home court in the Western Conference. I, I personally don't think they're in the top four, but the takeaway for me from all of this in trying to analyze this team and looking how all these things interact and stack up together is it's not a roster that's going to scale to championship heights. It's not that style of roster. I mean, that's stating the obvious to a degree, right? But there's some innovative path here toward something new with this movement and the speed and the passing that can get L.A. on the map, that can make them somewhat dangerous, along with the fact that they have LeBron James. And this style that Luke Walton could play or seems to be leaning toward playing is almost like a throwback to another Walton team, the 1977 Portland Trailblazers, who played with pace, they played with purpose, they passed well, the ball didn't stick, and... It was, you know, basketball poetry. It was the beautiful game before the 2014 Spurs. It was it was this incredible harmony of speed and movement and cutting, and Bill Walton was at the center of it all. And maybe 40 years later, his son can be the captain of, I don't know, some some descendant of that style of play as a breakthrough. So that's it. Look forward to hearing your thoughts on this. I'm incredibly interested to see 
how the Lakers season unfolds. Um, hopefully they don't make me look too bad by the end of it all because I, I am fascinated to see how this whole experiment works. If you enjoyed this episode, remember all of these podcasts are only made possible by patrons over on Patreon. It's Patreon slash Thinking Basketball. You can support the show there and all of my work uh, with a donation. There's uh, a tier that gets you access to a bunch of these historical stats and things that I have. I'm always trying to push more stats that I create and more historical information out to patrons. If you're interested, as always, uh, head over there and support the show. And otherwise, I hope you guys are having a great day, and I look forward to the start of the season. Talk to you next time.